The Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine, on your own terms. Today, we are on the path to wealth. Today, on the Physician's Road podcast, we teach you how to be like Warren Buffett and own your own insurance company. We will show you how doing this can decrease your personal risks and massively reduce your taxes each year. Go to CaptiveMD.com. That is CaptiveMD.com and sign up to get in-depth information on this amazing program. Again, that's CaptiveMD.com and sign up to get in-depth information on this amazing program. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Hello, welcome to the Physician's Road podcast. I am Dr. Eric Tate. Today, we are on the path to wealth again. And I am kind of over the moon ecstatic with who we have brought in uh, today. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, um, I have been searching for almost five years now to find a partner to work with what is basically the ability for you to create your own insurance company. Um, this is not something that is very well known to people. It is a planning structure and strategy that many wealthy families have used for generations. And as you know, I always try to bring those things that the wealthy use down to those of us kind of working stiffs who are, who are trying to scratch out a living still. And literally, I would say 2012, I was in, in Mexico at an international investors conference. Uh, it was through Sovereign Man Society. Uh, Simon Black and I are actually friendly. And so we went to his conference and he had someone who introduced this concept to me for the first time from the stage. And it immediately struck me because I realized that uh, many of our investors um, could take advantage of it. And I realized that because we had our investment firm, that the ability to use those funds through the insurance company for our investors was also a very big deal potentially. And so we had a lot of fits and starts. Um, we looked at some things that were offshore. We looked at some things that were onshore. Um, but we think that we've hit on a, an ideal partnership with someone who um, has a kinship with us in terms of us having control over our own dollars and us having control over our own financial life. And so I really want to introduce you today to uh, Van Carlson. Van is from SRA. And he is a longtime insurance professional that struck out on his own to help his clients become more financially stable and more financially aware. And so this is a, for me, this is a long time in coming. Van doesn't really understand how long I've been searching for someone like him. Um, and so I hope he feels kind of the love from the Physicians World podcast audience and, and, and from us because we think we've hit on a great partnership to go into the future. And so without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce you all to, to Van Carlson. And Van's going to tell you a little bit about himself and how he came to uh, kind of the captive insurance market and from his previous uh, iterations in the insurance industry. So, Van, how are you doing today? Very well. Thanks for inviting me to your podcast. I'm always excited to get the information out and education stuff out. So, uh, a little bit about myself real quick. Uh, I've been in risk management for going on close to 25 years. Um, 
And uh, first and foremost, that's what I, um, there's the value I bring to my clients. Unfortunately, um, people, risk is discounted a lot of times, uh, especially when everybody wants to think about the upsides. Uh, you know, I'm the Debbie Downer in the party a lot of times because I can always uh, identify risk fairly quickly. And uh, so the products and the ideas that was kind of introduced to me in, in 2008, actually, is when I first started looking at this concept myself. Uh, I found, saw this as a great way to uh, recognize risk business owners take on uh, to run their businesses and furthermore to uh, help with their financial uh, risk management overall. And uh, that's where I really became a believer in our program was in the 2008 uh, Great Recession. And uh, that's really where we're trying to bring together a, a bigger, broader uh Take on risk management, uh, no different than Fortune 500 companies. To your, to your, to your monologue intro was, you know, families, very successful enterprises, big, big name brand companies been utilizing these tools very effectively over the years. And we wanted to bring this concept down to the small to middle market business owners. Um, no different than what you're trying to do for your, for your clients. Absolutely. And so most of our most of our listeners are going to be in the health profession. So they're going to be physicians, dentists, chiropractors, people who are small business owners. They may be in a group practice. They may be in solo practice. Um, and so that market, um, I know, is kind of where you talk about the middle market, but a lot of it is service business. So it's not heavy machinery and those kinds of things. And so before we get into the weeds and you can people know I like to keep things super simple, especially when we're introducing new concepts. Captive insurance. People have heard of it. People have their things out there about it. What I want to do is just at a literally second grade level, explain to someone who has no idea what this concept is, what it is, what it is exactly. Okay. Um, so self-insuring risk, self-insuring risk has never been a deduction under the current tax code. Uh, a business owner can't take a dollar and set it aside and say, okay, if this happens, that's, this is the dollar I'm going to use. Um, the current tax code says no, self-insuring risk is not a deduction. Uh, therefore, uh, there's a lot of reasons what, what got developed. Uh, best example I give you is Microsoft. Microsoft is not going to sell somebody product liability insurance, right? So they have to go out and form their own insurance companies. Well, for them to put millions of dollars away into their own insurance companies, they have to do some mechanisms, but it still becomes an expense to the operating company level. But those dollars are actually being put into accounts and they're designed to pay claims in the future for product liability, for example, or law, civil lawsuits or whatever. Um, along, uh, came along 1986 in the Tax Reform Act, Congress uh, wanted to create a bigger incentive for small to middle market business owners to own an insurance company. And they actually introduced a, a tax code called 831B. Uh, going back to that time, uh, farmers were self-insuring crop insurance, for example. Private sectors were getting out. Uh, obviously, you know, we talk about crop subsidies today. It's really being the insurance is being subsidized by the crop insurance programs. But back then, there was none of that was going on. So Congress basically said, "Hey, let's introduce a tax tax incentive to own your own insurance company." No different than the four hundred one k is to create a tax incentive for you to create an employment retirement plan. Right? It's all deductions. It's all expense. So eight thirty one views introduced. Um, and that's what really started to drive the bus in a lot of ways for business owners to um, think about that. Now, back in 1986, you put the first $1.2 million away every year into your insurance company. You can expense it out of your operating company. Your insurance company would not pick it up as taxable income. Why? Because 
Insurance companies are designed to build reserves in order to handle more risk and even to accept more risk, right? I mean, the surpluses and that's what insurance companies live and breathe to do. Um, so there, that was a pretty sizable incentive to own your own insurance company. Um, and, you know, since then it's gone from the automotive industries to handling their own accident warranty programs all the way down to, uh, dental practices honored having their own warranty programs. And then thing, uh, the other thing is, a concept known as enterprise risk management. Enterprise risk management is a, is a broad approach to risk that we tell business owners today that uh, due to social medias and due to the age of information that we're in today, uh, risk profiles have gotten much more complicated and it even gives you more incentive to own your own insurance company because um, God knows we dump a lot of money into our brand and we are our brand. Uh, and if it gets damaged, we got to be able to go to war with. And what better way to go to war with than pre-tax dollars? And uh, so that's really the the basics of, of why it came about. Obviously, it's warped itself into other things, no different than the 401k did. Um, you know, but we're still thinking that down the road, as time goes on, as education comes out, as we do more programs like this, uh, our hope is to bring the education level out and it's a tool in a toolbox at the end of the day. It may work for you, may not work for you. But I think the power is understanding and the education of it where we think with time it will become a normal business practice for insurance, for some kind of for successful enterprises to own some kind of form of their own insurance company. And it's not because of the taxes and everything that you're going to probably read about this tax code. It's more of necessity of risk. Got it. And so just to kind of bring that maybe down some just a little. So what you're saying is a captive insurance company is the ability for someone to self-insure a certain amount of risk that they may be taking on in their business. Would that be fair to say? Yes, that that allows them to be able to actually take a deduction out of their company and build tax advantage reserves up. Yes. Okay. So then the next step is the money that you're going to be putting in that captive insurance is going to come out as a tax deduction from your business. So just like the 401k, it's pre-tax dollars that are being put aside for you to self-insure against certain some amount of risk that's out there. You talk about intangible risk. Um, we may not go into the weeds so much, but it's not like malpractice risk, risk like people would know. You would still have your own malpractice insurance, but this is risk that may be reputational risk. So um, let's just say you all had a, a data breach. And you had to pay somebody to fix that. Would that be something that would be um, allowable? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we specifically look at the medical community uh, for HIPAA fines, HIPAA violations, and everything out there, we build policies around those risks, for example. So um, there's political risks pretty high today in the medical community. Uh, licensing, you know, uh, you know, losing your license or temporarily losing your, I mean, all these things that happen uh, that were beyond your control. Um, again, these are why, these are all the incentives to own your own insurance company because there are so many unknowns. And, and unfortunately, you know, the world is getting more complicated by the day. And so, uh, absolutely. I mean, it is about building up reserves, uh, on tax, pre-tax dollars. And you just have more dollars to work with because truth be told, if some, one of those things you just mentioned happen, you're just going to use after tax money to go fight the war with. And you just better hope you got enough after tax money to go do that with. Our, our program is always designed. It's a forced savings plan and it's a design in a way that you hope you never have to use it. Uh, I, I promise you, in any insurance situation, it's never a good day to use an insurance policy. Um, and this way allows you to build up tax advantage reserves that, um, you know, unfortunately, things happen. 
And when they do, I'd rather use pre-tax dollars than after-tax dollars. Absolutely. And so what you're saying is in basically in 1986, Congress enacted uh, the ability, I guess through 831B, the ability for um, companies to, to, to do this. And they created a limit at that point in time of 1.2 million per company that you could set up. Uh, is that correct? Yes, that's, okay. that was exactly, that's per year. And that's on a, uh, the insurance company itself would not pick that in that, those dollars up as income. Uh, the only thing an insurance company does pay is the investment income. So if there's an investment return on those reserves, you pay taxes on those. So, um, you know, and we'll, and we'll get into that a little bit further, yeah, but what I sure. want to do is just set the context of what it is, right? So like, okay. All right. I can basically insure some of my own risk within my practice um, and I can get a tax deduction for doing that. So I just want to make sure everybody's clear on what that is, that you can own your own insurance company um, in certain circumstances with pre-tax dollars to be used to pay out certain risks. And again, we're not going to go into the weeds to, on the podcast, but right. if people... You know, they will work that out through the process based upon what their risk exposures are. So right now we're really just going high level overview. Okay. And so, and, and if I remember correctly, I think Congress has recently increased that limit that an individual insurance company can own. I mean, uh, the amount it can have inside of it. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. And what is it? Yeah. Like when, the, when the PATH Act became a uh, permanent law back in, uh, it was signed by Obama, uh, President Obama in 2015, uh, December 2015. Um, they also included 831B in there, and they made two significant changes, actually. One is they increased it to by another million dollars with an inflation rider. So, for example, 2018 is 2.3. We can anticipate 2019 that dollar was not going up. Um, and then they also got rid of the, the lineal descendants, uh, meaning that um, some of the pressure, if you were to Google this code, some of the pressure got uh, in, this code got in trouble because state tax attorneys were out promoting the state tax play. Um, and it became, it became a problem. Uh, Congress got rid of that. So meaning that you're, if your practice isn't owned by your kids anymore, you can't, they can't own the insurance company either. So that was a good compromise. I think in a lot of reasons, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, this thing goes into the wrong hands and it's not being sold. It's not being caught as a risk mitigation tool, which is absolutely what it is, but it's more spotted than the state tax play. And so you, some of the cases that have been coming through the court recently, that was the motivation behind them was to avoid the state taxes. And unfortunately, um, you know, it's caused a black eye for the industry. Uh, however, it's been cleaned up. And going forward, I think we've actually got a clear road path as the do's and the don'ts. So anyway, okay. that's perfect. That's well, actually, so let's go in the weeds for a quick second on that. So, OK, let's say you're no longer practicing. You retire. You die. What, hap what hmm. happens to your insurance company? Yeah, so at that point, it could become a holding company, right? So it's no longer an active insurance company. Uh, it can absolutely go into a holding company situation and become um, a stagnant. You can have, you can shut it down. Uh, it is a C-Corp, so you pay long-term capital gains. Um, but yeah, there's a variety of things that go on. It, it, it does a, you're just not seeing risk into the insurance company every year after that. Mm -hmm. uh, however, uh, you know, we designed our programs to recognize those types of things where it's affordable still to maintain, um, whether you continue on with your practice or one year you just say, Hey, I can't fund this year. I, I don't, you know, whatever, um, economy, whatever things, you know, world things, things happen. happen. Yeah. So things happen. We want to make our program affordable, effective enough and, and a long-term planning strategy that most business owners can take advantage of. 
Got it. So, so essentially it becomes part of your estate if something were to happen to you. Um, yes. it's just that if someone does not have risk, meaning a, a descendant have a piece of your business, no more premium dollars can be put into the insurance company at that point. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's exactly okay. right. Perfect. And so let's, let's hit the nail on the head. Let's go straight for the, for the heart. You, you alluded to it. So lots of people are saying that captive insurances are tax scams and are tax dodges and the IRS hates them. And so what is the real, what is, what is the current state of, of the industry as it stands right now? I would tell you that, uh, you know, it's, it's growing rapidly still. I mean, one of the things is, is, you know, uh, we would, would we love more guidance from the IRS? Absolutely. I, I think through court cases, we'll get that. Um, but this is going to become a normal business practice. Uh, costs have come way down. You know, when I looked at this thing back in 2008, there was only eight states promoting you to own their insurance company in their states. There's now 34. Um, offshore has always been a, a big option. I would tell you Fortune 500 companies have all their insurance companies offshore. Uh, UPS is one of the big ones. Um, you know, every time you sign up for that damage waiver on that package, all those premiums they're generating, they're scooping it right out of their company and dumping it into offshore co- accounts or offshore insurance companies, I should say. Um, we have great, we have, we do in everything on domestically. We don't try to go offshore. We, we have the most affordable way of doing it. Um, we have all the advantages of going offshore, but we're able to keep them onshore. Um, does the IRS like them? No. I mean, obviously there's big benefits to the taxpayer. Um, Here's what I will tell you. In my opinion, even the IRS has come out and said these are legitimate tools for business owners. Um, everybody wants to always, you know, that's just not good enough, right? Everybody's got to stretch them and, and bend the box. And, and you know, so, you know, they've gotten into situations where they try to sell life insurance with them. They've gotten into situations where, you know, they put their reserves in illiquid assets. You know, there's a there's basically a four-part test owning your own insurance company. We make sure our clients adhere to the four part test and, and, um, we do a good job with that. Uh, we, we will probably grow by a hundred more clients this year, uh, that will form their own insurance company with us for us to manage. Um, and we just see that number growing every year. And again, successful enterprises will need this more of a risk mitigation, uh, than anything. Uh, the more clients we talk to, the more people we see, they've all experienced something. Uh, that along the lines, but man, this would have made all the difference in the world had we just had this program in place. And so, um, yeah, I think it's one of those things where the IRS says, Hey, get, get me once, but don't get me twice. It's that twice when the IRS, they look at things and people, I've, I've literally sat in those meetings that you probably back in 2013 when it was first introduced to you, you know, talking about tax free income and how you can take money out and borrow and all. It's like, guys, if it starts to sound too good to be true, it's, there's a good chance it is. Um, one of the things that's been a hang up is distribution of risk. Uh, we don't get cute with that. We make it very front up front. Hey, you can't own 100% of your own risk and call yourself an insurance company. Um, one of the basic principles of insurance is the law of large numbers and how are you utilizing that? You know, uh, we have a great video training videos. We have great educational videos to show clients to say, Hey, there's an element of risk to own your own insurance company. And that's that distribution of risk. However, we do that in a way that makes sense to you and it makes sense to the IRS. And it just, it, it's going to, it kind of goes back to the co-op days when a lot of these insurance companies we've come to know today that's a hundred years old on the books, they were originally formed as co-ops. Meaning a great example is farmers insurance. Two farmers in Southern California got together because they couldn't 
get farm liability on their cars. They formed a co-op. And out of that, they grew an insurance company. I would tell you when we talk with business, we're forming co-ops. We're forming co-ops with, with like-minded individuals, successful enterprises that say, okay, I can afford to do this program first and foremost. Uh, it makes sense for me. I have these risks. Would I rather go to war with pre-tax versus after-tax? All these things. Um, but again, it, it's going to become a normal business practice. Costs keep coming down. If you looked at these programs prior to 08, just to form an insurance company was hard. Law firms were charging 250 grand. And the reason why they were charging that much is because they could. <laughs> but like everything else happens, you know, I mentioned the domicile increase was that more and more domiciles, more availability to place your insurance companies other places. Guess what happens? Costs go down, you know? Uh, and so that's just the, the way the markets work, right? Well, working in this market too. So by costs coming down, fees coming down, it's creating the ability for small, more and more small to middle market successful enterprises that look at owning their insurance companies. And, and it's just going to continue. I think with the latest court cases that have come out, uh, it's given us, the judges are smart enough to say, Hey, this is, here's the wrong way of doing it. Here's the right way. As long as you're doing it the right way, we're good with this. Congress passed the tax code. Congress created the tax incentive. Um, it's just how you use those incentives is obviously key and, and, and obviously, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, uh, you got sophisticated listeners. You can see where the abuses would come from, you know, and, but that doesn't matter. There's abuses in every industry. There's abuses in the medical community, as we know, right? Um, there's good players and bad players, um, you know, and, um, but at the same time. Well, actually, I think, so. I think make, let's make life easy. Let's talk about the four part test because I think that's really the crux of it, right? I mean, that's really where, Folks get in trouble or don't get in trouble, right? So just very quickly talk about what the yeah. four parts of the test are and, and kind of how you as a company make sure that you run those, those four parts. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say we definitely provide the conduit for our clients to do that. So the biggest, the, the, the first part of the test is a transfer of risk. You have to have a transfer of risk. No difference when I, when I pay my malpractice insurance premiums, I'm transferring that risk to an, to an insurance company. Um, we have that conduit and then there has to be a risk distribution. That's the, Third, second part of the test. There has to be more risk besides yourself uh, that you're insuring inside your insurance company. And we provide those pools. And again, those are deep, deep conversations, but we're happy to have them at a later date. And then you have to have a fortuitous risk, meaning it has to happen by accident. It can't not be business related type risk. Unfortunately, a lot of our clients always want those business risks handled um, because, you know, they, that's what part of the things that keep them up at night. But that being said, that's a business risk. This is a fortuitous risk. Fortuitous can, you give, can you give an example of a business risk that people are trying to cover that it is not fortuitous? In my opinion, would be a key employee that works for your for your operation, right? That's key to your business, right? And a key, let's say it's a key office manager for you. And thank God, if you were to lose that person, it's going to affect me. It's going to affect my business. But if that person decides to go get a better job paying somewhere or the spouse got a promotion somewhere and now they have to move, we don't think those are insurable type risks. Those are everyday business occurrences, right? So that's an example that we would tell you that that doesn't seem like that's an insurable risk. That didn't happen by accident necessarily, right? Um, and, and obviously you can make the argument it did, but in my, in our opinion, that's a straight up business risk. Unlike, you know, that same office manager mistakenly, and this has happened, where posted, Hey, um, the dental hygienist worked on their first HIV patient this morning. They put, they made a comment of like that on Facebook. Uh, 
that's a problem, right? I mean, that that's detrimental to your, you know, that's somebody that maybe made an intentional um, uh, decision to post something like that, but it's fortuitous in nature to the dental practice. Uh, it happened by accident. I mean, unfortunately, stupid things get covered all the time. Stupid things get covered all the time in insurance world. Um, you know, it's improper decision-making sometimes that causes these things, obviously, but it's infortuitous in nature. So I hope that helped a little bit define that because I think it's important yes. to understand that. No, that's absolutely, uh, that's, we definitely want to clarify that. And then what's the fourth, what's the fourth test? Fourth one is acting in the principles of insurance. And that's where we get back into risk distribution part of it, but also that you have to have the proper policies. You have to have uh, solvency. Can your insurance company handle the risk it's issuing for? Um, or, um, is, is your reserves being invested in a way that, that makes sense? Um, and, and of course we get into different definitions of reserves and surpluses and all that stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I, so that's a four part test, transfer risk, risk distribution, fortuitous risk and principles of insurance, all of which are in depth. <laughs> so the educational level here and the, and the learning curve here is, is far and wide at times, but we, we try to help our clients understand that the basics of it, um, but we're here to manage their insurance company and we're certainly not here to complicate their lives either. Um, we have a turnkey approach to making sure that our clients adhere to all four parts of those things. I was going to say, I'll be honest with you. Most positions are, are so busy. What they want is an expert that they can bring in who's going to make sure that those tests get covered and that they are covered. There are a few out there that want to go super deep in the weeds, but for the most part, they want to understand that you understand what you're doing and that what you're doing is going to keep them in compliance and keep them safe over the long run, um, from that standpoint, most don't want to get hit over the head. At least most physicians that we work with don't want to get hit over the head with all of the details, but they want to know exactly kind of, all right, you know what you're doing. We're in the code section. These are the major kind of roadmap of the code section. You're showing us why and how we're in that, on that road. And then we're going to move forward from that standpoint. So, uh, that's great. Um, let me, let me, let me say this too, Eric. And I think this is a very key, key difference why we're confident where we're at. As long as our clients play by our rules and their insurance company were to ever be challenged, we provide the legal team to defend them in court in the event that happens. So that's how confident, as long as we, long, we're confident enough in our program that as long as our clients adhere by our rules, we will provide the legal team in the event they were challenged at their insurance company level. Wow. That's how confident we are. And, oh, and, that's a great and guarantee. Truth be told, our, our our legal team is is uh, we consider them the brightest and the best, obviously. But at the same time, they are all they all either work for the IRS under the chief counsel, or they were at one point prosecuting attorneys for the IRS. And our attorneys, our, uh, our legal opinions, any of that kind of stuff, any of your listeners can request it on, upon uh, you know through your through your uh, connections. We, we're happy to provide any legal opinions they may want to, but. Just know that as long as that's how much that's how confident we are about our program, and I think you're probably the only I, we're probably one of the only insurance managers out there that would say that to you. Um, but that's how confident we are with our program. Well, that's that's really impressive. I mean, that's w what we call a, a kind of a outrageous guarantee. And I, I always like companies that will give an outrageous guarantee to stick behind their um, services. And so, I mean, let's be realistic about this from an IRS standpoint. What the IRS wants is taxes. Let, let me, let's just, let's just put it out on the table. And so the way that you all have set this program up and everything that we've talked about, it, people will be paying taxes as their money 
goes from being at risk to not being at risk. I mean, so the thing that the IRS cares about, in many ways, the way you set your program up, the IRS is going to get what they want. Am I right? Yes. In fact, I'd say these are tax deferred dollars. And obviously, you know, if you do it right, you get a, you can declare a dividend or you pay long-term capital gains. And it's still a, a game winner because of, you know, versus ordinary income and all that stuff. Um, but absolutely. In fact, I tell clients all the time, anybody ever says anything's tax free, obviously thinks they're going to leave this world alive, man, because you know, I always grew up with my dad, you know, death and taxes. It's all I ever heard. Right. Uh, so yeah, there is no, there is no get out of, uh, you know, obviously there are some strategies, but we're not part of that. Um, you know, the bottom line is the absolutely client, you know, you're deferring the taxes and, and here, let's be real. I mean, this is about, you know, I, I jokingly say this, but unfortunately, it's, I wish I was wrong. I mean, you know, go back to 08. You know, the companies that got bailed out were companies that were so large that the U.S. national security couldn't afford to afford them to go out of business. You either better get that big, right, or you better do something different, meaning you better become more tax efficient. You know, if this is your best year, to put away some – put away five – 10% of your gross revenue into an insurance company like this to build for those rainy day funds. To me, that's just good risk mitigation, first and foremost. But the reality is this. If the world turns against you or the economy takes a hit or some unforeseen thing happens, what are you going to do? I mean, are you just going to rely on that you can weather the storm again? I say no. I say be smart, be more efficient, do what smart money does. You know, smart money doesn't run to the market when it's an all-time high. Well, you know what? You know, get more efficient with your dollars because making a dollar profit today is tough. And, and unfortunately, it gets discounted a lot in our country. Absolutely. Uh, the risk takers. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 And, and, I, and I don't need you to go any further from where you, okay. what you just said. I, I'll <laughs> take it from there after that standpoint. So um, <laughs> suffice it to say that what he talked about from a strategic standpoint of using dollars, that's in many ways what we what we end up doing with for our clients, separate and apart from this. And again, it's this this is about introducing right. the concept of captive, um, not kind of what the back end strategy is as of yet. And so let's talk about um because we're gonna be wrapping up in terms of you kind of covered it, but let's talk about who's who can use these types of 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 of, of um insurance companies. I let People who are employed understand that this is not for them, um, that you have to be a business owner, you have to be a partner in a practice, um, but give kind of the minimums and things that that are needed for this to make sense for someone. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a 162 line item deduction, which means it's a necessary and ordinary business expense. So as long as you've got that in your code, you're, you're able to take advantage of one of your insurance company. Um, beyond that, um, you know, I, I I always tell clients, we built a program for you to want to, you know, be in a position to fund for risk every year. However, you know, we also know that things happen. So some years you can't fund, but our program is still affordable to maintain it. Um, but we do want to make sure we instill the idea that these are, this is a long-term planning strategy, um, which, you know, to be in and out every year, it, you, you would lose at this program. That's, that's, that's not what you want to get into. You want to get into a lot. This becomes part of your strategy in a lot of levels, not just risk mitigation, but other, just other strategies come into play that you can talk to your clients about. But, um, so it's a long-term planning tool. 
So I think you have to, yeah. So your mindset has to be a little different than, unfortunately, than, than what we're predisposed to today. Um, there is no incentive to save money, unfortunately, in our current tax bill. Zero, right? They, they want, the way it's really designed is to spend more money, right? And, and so for me, it's, you know, you got to reset your brain. So, you know, so the, for the type of client that we typically deal with, um, you know, they're looking at down the road more, you know, they're looking for different strategies. They're tired of putting all their eggs in one basket, maybe in their firm, um, where they just keep buying more equipment or doing those types of things and are getting bigger for the sake of getting bigger. So, you know, that's one thing. So y- your mindset's got to be sitting in a certain way that you're not trying to keep up with the Joneses necessarily. You know, you've kind of passed that point in your life. You're, you're trying to look at the sunset a little bit more. Um, and, and you, and you want to be smart with your money because you, you know, making money is not easy and, and really making the profit is what's got to be addressed. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's one thing. And then when it comes to minimums, you know, what you should be able to afford to be able to put every year into your program, uh, in your own insurance company. I mean, it's all over the board today. You know, I got dentists that say, you know, I don't like the 401k so much. I'd rather do your program. Uh, and, and we price it out accordingly and everything else. So, and, and then we got clients that will do, you know, do, do the max as long as we can provide the, the actuarials to justify the premiums and so forth. So I would tell you that, you know, I've got guys that are doing $20,000 a year in the program and then as high as over a million dollars a year. But it's all over the board from that standpoint. It's cross industries in the medical community. I think is, we're probably most predominant uh, as far as if I had to say a sector that own their own insurance companies. But I think it's really has to do with the, the risk profiles that they have. I mean, Unfortunately, uh, with asset protection and everything else that they're doing today, um, there's a lot to be worried about. And unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of tools out there for them to use. And, and again, when I tell people this is just a tool, toolbox at the end of the day, it's worth vetting out, worth understanding it. And it may not be the right time today, but eventually, the more successful you'll become, the more of a necessity owning your own insurance company will be part of that. I think that's a great place to leave our first introductory podcast. Um, so what I always like to do is open the floor. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have? Is there anything that is oftentimes a misconception that people have that you want to clear up that we didn't go through from a question standpoint? Just give you a couple of minutes to kind of open the floor and say, hey, you know, people think this, but it's really this. How, how, whatever your experience has been, um, please let our listeners know kind of what you'd like to tell them that I didn't cover. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think I've, I think I covered earlier about the IRS doesn't like these things. They put them on the dirty dozen. CPAs, your CPA is not going to understand this program. They're going to, they're going to know about it from a very deep, I would say, or a very surface issue when really this is a deep educational type product. And, you know, go back to the 401k. 1978, the tax code was introduced. It was only introduced for people that made over $250,000 of taxable income. And it's only because back then, 68%, if you made over $250,000, 68% of it was taxed. So they came out with an incentive in, to, own your, to do a 401k plan. And then it took a CPA in 19, uh, 1980 to read the code and go, wait a minute, you can do this for all your employees. But in the beginning, it almost guaranteed you an audit. Uh, there was discrimination going on with employees. Your ERISA rules weren't even in place yet. A lot of case laws that have been developed. Um, and costs were pretty high to where the point where you didn't have several hundred employees, you didn't do a 401k. It just wasn't, you know, it was meant for the big boys. Well, now we got the same tech thing going on here where 831B, the IRS doesn't like them. It's great tax benefit, taxpayer benefits. Your point earlier, Eric, the IRS is, their only goal in life is to tech, 
collect as much tax revenue as possible. That's their job. Uh, of course, they don't like these types of tools. And, and unfortunately, abuses are going to come along the way. No different than the 401k. Um, but with time, with understanding, with guidance, with course case precedence, 401ks have become a normal business practice. So much so, a lot of them even hate them now because there's really no benefit for, for a doctor to make the kind of revenues that doctors make. 401ks are not, and they're just kicking the can down the road anyway. Um, and if I need access to those funds, I, I can't get it. So, so to our program, not only is it, you know, Uncle Sam's not going to come and bail you out if something happened, especially if it's the recession, but more importantly, what happens if somebody did put something out on a, a medical record of, of your patients uh, mis- by mistake? Is, is the government agency going to step in and help you with that? No, they're going to come and actually find you now. So, so who's going to, your insurance company, your traditional insurance company is not going to step up to help you. You got to help yourself. And, and this is a tool Congress provided for that. Don't listen so much to the noise. Understand the, where the noise is coming from, I think. Dissect that and realize that there's a, there's an incentive to own your own insurance company. There's yeah. the good and the bad and the ugly of it. There's no doubt about it. But with time, it's going to become a normal business practice. I'm convinced of it. Yeah. I actually see. I mean, to me, it is very much the more I've learned about it. It very much is akin to a 401k, but with, I think, a lot more benefits. Um, you talked about kind of the discrimination clauses. Like there aren't, I mean, if you own the company, the captive is for you. It's not something you have to give to every employee and all these kind of things. It's your dollars, right? And if you're owning a successful practice, the dollars you can put away pre-tax are so much higher, um, than what you can do with a 401k and, and, and often even, even defined benefit plans or even cash balance plans. But that's again into the weeds in a different discussion. <laughs> so I'm going to, uh, at this point, We'll wrap it up because the, the hours long and attention spans are short. And so what we're going to do is we're going to create, um, for our listeners, um, we're going to create a website that we'll, we're going to start gathering the, the videos and the information. Um, it's going to be captivemd.com. So you can go to captivemd.com and we're going to have, we will have this, um, interview here. We will eventually put up webinars. We will put up, um, some of SRA's videos in the future and, you can always email me at feedback at the physiciansroad.com um, and just put captive in the in the subject line and we can get into a much deeper conversation uh, about this and get you more information. So um, I want to thank Van Carlson from SRA to, for being here today. Um, we look forward to working with him uh, in the future um, and helping as many physicians Become familiar with owning their own insurance company as possible um, out there. And please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, the podcast app of your choice, and give us a rating. Give us a review. Um, and please subscribe. Uh, five stars are best, of course, because we can get this information out to more um, people. And if you want to interact with us um, more closely, you can always go to fa- we have a Facebook group. You can go to Facebook.com and put in the Physician's Road. And we have a group there um, where we can have much more in-depth conversations uh, around these podcasts and the things that we're we're talking about. And so um, I want to thank you again for listening to the Physicians Road podcast. Today, we're on the path to wealth, and we're talking about owning your own insurance company. Go to CaptiveMD.com. That is CaptiveMD.com to learn how to start your own insurance company. 
The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.